Good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. What a beautiful way to start off our new series with baptisms today. This is there, this is, this is, those of you who were baptized today, this is you saying yes to Jesus. And, go, and, and he's going to honor your yes. And I'm so thankful about that's kind of hard to uh, follow that. So um, what a wonderful way also to begin this. It's a new 10-part series. Um, and she's kind of already mentioned that there will be multiple speakers this month. And each of us will talk about different attributes of Jesus. And one of our core values here at Thrive Community Church is introducing Jesus. And so today I'm going to introduce Jesus as human. Now, in doing that, I kind of wanted to start off a little bit with my own personal journey. Um, first of all, um, I'm very honored that Pastor Nathan has afforded me the opportunity to come here and speak to you, and to whom much is given, much is required. So just know that this position here is honored, and, and that I'm so thankful to be here. But, um, you know, about four and a half years ago, my freedom journey began, um, and it started with my sobriety. And, you know, I, I was a believer for years, but I always felt like there was something missing with my relationship with the Lord. And I was just like, I wanted this more deep, more intimate relationship with the Lord, but I didn't, I didn't really know how to get that. So um, I had to get rid of the junk first, though. I had to get that, I had to get sober so that I could really focus on my relationship with the Lord. So then I began um, coming here to Thrive, and I will say this, that I have never been more blessed, I have never been more poured into, and Pastor Nathan has such a beautiful way of seeing things in people that they don't see in themselves, and this today is the reason why I'm here, because he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself, but it was a call from like two or three decades ago. So I'm fulfilling a call on my life because um, today, because, you know, God has given Pastor Nathan that ability to do that. So, you know, I was, like I said, I was a believer for, for many, many years, and I knew who God was. I knew who God the Father was, and, you know, but growing up, I would always see God the Father as this pie-in-the-sky God who kind of oversees everything. But what I began to realize about him is that he's my Abba. And Abba is the most intimate form of the word Father in, in relation to the Lord. And so he began showing me who he is and who I am in him. And so as I began to develop that wisdom and that knowledge in my heart, the Lord just kept growing me, kept growing me. And then um, I also began to learn about, you know, the Holy Spirit and how to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit and have to say that um, that is the, that was a huge part of a missing piece of my puzzle uh, was being able to tap into the Holy Spirit. And I'm so still growing in that area. Um, so then I began to think about Okay, so Pastor Nathan, he kind of assigned us these topics, and um, he's, you know, I realized that mine was Jesus the human. I thought, oh, that's going to be so easy. No. 
I started listening to different podcasts and reading different commentaries and listening to different sermons and kind of doing my own research. And I was like, that seemed like such an easy concept, but it was a lot more complex than I really thought it was. So today, I'm just going to share to you what I've learned about Jesus, the human, okay? Now, why is that important, first of all? Why is that important? Why is that important to you? Why is that important to me? It's something called identification. So let me, let me just kind of give you an example. So my husband is sitting right here. <laughs> We've been together about 10 years. Uh, but early on in our marriage, we realized that if we wanted to stay married, that I had to have at least one cup of coffee before he speaks to me every morning. Because he wakes up, he's dancing, and he's singing. He'll, he used to, like, make jokes, and I was like, grumpy cat. Now, can you identify with that? <laughs> so identification, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary has several different definitions, but the one I feel like really relates to what we're talking about today, the psychological orientation of the self in regard to something, such as a person or a group, with a resulting feeling of close emotional connection. So that, when I'm talking about identification today, that's what I'm talking about. Have you ever been somewhere where you didn't know anybody? And then you meet someone finally that, like I was an educator. We educators just make these connections. You know, you go somewhere, you don't know anybody. Oh, you're a teacher? Oh, I'm a teacher too. What do you teach? Well, what grade do you teach? Well, I taught that too. Oh, now I'm a counselor. Okay. Well, you have this instant bond because you can identify with one another. You've been there. You know what it's like. So the first scripture today we're going to talk about um, is Galatians 4.4, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent for his son, born of a woman, that's what made Jesus a human, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, and that's us, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, Jesus did not settle for the illusion of identification. He wasn't just beamed here on earth at the age of 30 and starting his ministry. He was born of a woman. That's what made him human. Hebrews 2.14. I'm going to read the New Living Translation because I feel like this really expresses what I want to share with you today. It says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood by being born in human form. Uh, made of flesh and blood, Jesus also became flesh and blood. He was a human being, so he knows what it's like to be a human. He was born. He went through all the awkward developmental stages in life, just like you and me, right? Okay, including puberty. <laughs> He ate food, he got hungry, he got thirsty, he was exhausted, he had emotions, he suffered, and he died just like any other human being. He fully experienced being human. So Hebrews 2.17, therefore in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that's you and me, like a human, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiations 
of the, for the sins of the people. Now, I'm not going to get too deep into what the word propitiation means, but it basically means it's about forgiveness in relation to the Lord and, and from the perspective of God. Hebrews 2.18 goes on to say, For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he was able to aid those who are tempted. In other words, because he has suffered, he was a human and he was tempted. He can help those who are tempted. All right. Has anybody ever been tempted? Raise your hand. Look, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying. Okay? Okay. So, now, temptation is not a sin because if it were a sin, Jesus would have never done it, number one, because he was without sin, right? Now, our response to that temptation, however, can be what becomes a sin. But we had the most beautiful model of, what it, of how to really take care of that temptation. We had Jesus modeled what it's like to be a human and what it's like to work through those temptations. You know, sometimes we think about those temptations that are in our mind, that that's, that's sin and it's not. It's just it's, you're working those things out. When you're a believer, the Holy Spirit helps you work those things out so that you can make not good decisions, but godly decisions. Hebrews 5, uh, 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, okay, my mom's sitting over here, and she can probably speak for the fact that I've always kind of been like, I don't know if you call it a grammar snob. <laughs> so that is actually a double negative. Okay, I don't really know why the author chose to write it that way. So he could have written it, for we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, but is in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. So Jesus understands how we feel because he's been there. He was a human. Now Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Now throne of grace, not a throne of judgment, not a throne of rules and regulations. You know, I talked earlier about inter introducing Jesus, not the religious Jesus. That's rules and regulations. But it's about a throne of grace. Because that is, a, it's, that, is that unmerited favor of the Lord that he just gives us because he loves us. And he's merciful, meaning he doesn't give us what we do deserve. So think about a time when you're, you know, maybe at a dinner party or something and you don't know anybody, and we kind of talked about that earlier, and then suddenly somebody talks about having some kind of an ailment, and you've had the same ailment, and you share your stories. Well, you can identify with each other, right? But what I want you to understand today is that Jesus can identify with your need. How many of you have ever had a need? Has anybody ever had a need? We all have needs the other thing I wanted to share with you is, you know, Jesus can sympathize with us because he was a human and shared some of the same experiences, but he also shared human emotions. He was compassionate 
Do you remember the widow who lost her only son? He was compassionate to her. He was compassionate to the lost. He was indignant to, you know, the, all of the religious people who kept oppressing all of the people. But he experienced joy when he was doing the will of the, he went because he did the will of the Father, and he expressed anger, and he overturned the table of the money changers in the temple, and he was exhausted from the demands of his ministry. What I love is we have a pastor who really demonstrates that. You know, last week, as a matter of fact, he talked about the Sabbath and rest and how important that is. And he's modeling that because guess what? Jesus modeled that. There were many times that it mentioned in Scripture that Jesus, because he was exhausted and he was tired, he pulled back and he spent time with the Lord. So Jesus can understand how you feel because he too had feelings. Now, there are three areas in our life that I'd really like to focus on today that Jesus understands and that he can relate to. The first is relationships. So Jesus knows about family relationships. He was born into a family. He, had, he grew up just like you and me. Like I said earlier, he went through all of the same developmental things that we did. Now, think about him being a toddler. Does being a toddler always look holy? Okay, kind of makes you think, what did Jesus look like when he was a toddler? I don't know. He didn't sin, so you knew if he was throwing a fit, maybe that wasn't a sin. Maybe that's just developmental, I don't know. So, Mark 6, 3, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So guess what? Jesus had siblings. And we don't think about that a lot, do we? But we know he had at least four brothers. He had at least two sisters because sisters is plural, and that means more than one. So he was the oldest of seven children. I'm sure they all got along great. I'm sure they never fought. I'm sure they never played jokes on each other. I kind of giggled when I was writing this. because How many of you remember that WWJD bracelet? Did you ever have one? <laughs> Okay, so when I was writing this, I was just thinking about, you know, Jesus and his siblings, and I'm thinking, I wonder if Mary ever said, what would Jesus do to the other kids? Why don't you be more like Jesus? I was like, can you imagine being the sibling of Jesus? Because he really was perfect. So, I don't know. I don't know if I could ever live up to that. <laughs> but I also wanted to draw your attention to the fact that it says is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and not the son of Joseph? Now, I'm going to come back to that later, but I want you to kind of put a pin in it, and we'll come back to that. So, you know, Jesus had brothers. He had sisters. I bet he had chores. He had aunts, and he had uncles. He had cousins. Now, he knows what it's like to have family problems. And I don't know if you think about this, most of his own family didn't even believe in who he was until after he was resurrected. So he understands what it's like when you experience family problems. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on that because guess what? Every family is dysfunctional, okay? There's some dysfunction in everybody's family. 
And everybody has family problems from time to time. But Jesus, too, experienced family problems. Now, Jesus knows what it's like to be single. He was never married here on earth. But he also knows what it's like to be married. Now, I want you to think about that one for a minute. (laughs) And you're thinking, Tammy, you just said he knows what it's like to be single. Yes, he does. But he knows what it's like to be married. What do I mean by that? Well, the Bible references the bride of Christ multiple, multiple times. So in Revelation 21, 9, it actually says, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. He knows what it's like to have a wife and even an unfaithful one. What about him understanding what it's like to have children? Well, he wasn't like physically married, right? So wait a minute. You got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You got Jesus over here who is also God. And it mentions multiple times in Scripture that we are God's children, that we are adopted as his sons and daughters. And we are his children, and sometimes we break his heart. We can break his heart. So Jesus knows what it's like when you have a wayward child. He knows what it's like when your children are disobedient. He knows what it's like when your heart is broken because some of the choices that your children make. There is nothing that you can talk to him about that he can't relate to. He understands families, even dysfunctional and disobedient ones. Mark 3.31, and I'm going to read several here in a row here, but then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside they said to him, calling him, 32, And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. Verse 33, But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother and my brothers? Verse 34, And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers and my sister. I got that back. But you get it. For whoever does the will of my, uh, the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. They were saying, Jesus, your family is here to see you. He's like, that's not my family. Y'all are my family. You've been there. Your chosen family. I like to call them my family, my friends that are family. But sometimes your chosen family. You're closer to them than you are your own family. Maybe it's because of some family dysfunction or something like that. But Jesus knows what that's like, and I'm going to show you here in just a second. You know, you think about <laughs> the family that you're born into. Like, maybe it's because your mom and dad didn't have very good fashion sense when they came to pick you up at school and you're embarrassed. Or maybe it's because your brother and your sister are like the problem kid and you're like the good one and you don't want to be associated with them. I don't really know why Jesus said that, but I'm, I have a pretty good clue because in Mark 3, 21, they basically said he was out of his mind. They said he's crazy. Jesus is crazy. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's over there like, talking about demons, saying he's the Messiah. He is out of his ever-loving mind. 
they went to what they went into this place where he was and it was overly crowded and he was there with the disciples and his family's like what is he doing he's crazy and Jesus is like y'all are my family <laughs> that's not my family out there <laughs> so he can relate now has anybody in your family ever thought you were crazy don't answer that <laughs> that's my mom and dad over there and my husband and my brother-in-law father-in-law they probably all think I'm crazy <laughs> you weren't supposed to amen that, okay? So he knows what it's like to have close friends, too. Do you remember the story of Martha and Mary and Lazarus? Okay. So Jesus was really close to them, and we know that because of what the Scripture says about them. And so because of their relationship, um, you know, you have Mary and Martha. You know, Martha's like kind of a busybody. Um, and then Mary is the one who chose the right thing to really just listen to the Lord. And I, mean, I can only, I'm just thinking, I don't know. The Bible says what they said, Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And I'm just kind of thinking, you know, like Mary, maybe she said, Lord, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. And then I'm thinking, Martha, Jesus, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. I don't know. Just a thought. <laughs> so, he knows what it's like also to be abandoned, and he knows what it's like when your friends desert you, when you need them the most. He knows what that's like. So there's absolutely nothing that you can't talk to him about that he can't understand because he's a merciful and sympathetic high priest, and he understands relationships. But he also understands about work. Jesus didn't just understand about, the, about work. He actually showed up. So the creator became the creation. God became man. God became a carpenter because Jesus was a carpenter. And I know that word carpenter doesn't necessarily mean woodwork. There's some other things that it kind of refers to that they're able to do with that word, but, and, you know, I've had some, I've actually read some commentaries that disputed the fact that Jesus was a carpenter, but actually, um, we're going to go back to that Mark 6, 3 that I read earlier, and it says, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So, when I think about carpentry, I'm thinking about the skill work, the skill set that it takes for that. And I'm thinking about Jesus growing up with Joseph, father and son carpentry incorporated, maybe, I don't know. And he's, you know, walking around with his little tool belt, and he's asking Joseph all these questions about, hey, how do you do this? And Joseph's like, oh, hey, you do it like this. So about the age of 12, he probably traditionally would have maybe started going to work with Joseph. So I kind of giggled a little bit here when I thought about Jesus at 12 years old because many of you remember the story in the Bible. I'm thinking Joseph and Mary just thought he had way too much time on his hands because they went to missing him after about a day of travel, left him behind, took him three, took them three days to get their 12-year-old son back. And I'm thinking they must have been panicked. I'm thinking they were thinking he's got way too much time on his hands. Joseph, he's got to start going to work with you. 
So Joseph was a business owner and taught Jesus the family business, okay? How many of you have worked with family? My family is here. They all work together. And though they love each other and their business works well and God has blessed that, there are challenges to that. So you think about that. So Jesus knows what it's like to be in the workforce, in the family business. He also knows what it's like to pay taxes, fun taxes. So, and he knows what it's like working for lost people who lie and cheat. But he also knows what it's like working for church people who lie and cheat. Have you ever been there? Jesus was also in the ministry for a little over three years. Y'all, ministry is hard work. Y'all are needy. (laughs) People need connections. They need freedom. They need someone to believe in them. They need someone that can pour life into them. They need to be equipped for the things that God has called them to do. And as leaders in the church... As someone who leads a ministry, it can be exhausting. And some people are difficult, y'all. People can be so difficult and try to suck the life right out of you. That's when you take that time of rest and you pull back and you go back and you spend time with the Father, just like Jesus gave us that example. So he understands what it's like to be exhausted from work. And there's nothing about work that he can't understand When is the last time you talked to Jesus about your family problems or your work struggles? He understands and he knows. But Jesus also understands pain and suffering. Do I have, which clock do I look at? One on the left? Because if it's the one on the right, I don't know. Okay. All right. Jesus understands, yeah, squirrel. Um, (laughs) Jesus understands pain and suffering. He understands your pain and suffering because we've all experienced some kind of pain at some point in our lives, but he understands physical and emotional pain. Isaiah 53.3 says, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. There's some pretty strong emotional words in there. Have you ever been despised? Have you ever been rejected? To be despised is basically someone just cannot even stand the sight of you. They're completely rejected. As a matter of fact, they don't like you so much that they're not, they're not even going to go down your street to get to their house, even if they live next door. <laughs> they're going to go around They may not even come to the same city because they know you live there. To be despised is probably the greatest form of rejection. Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So he was mocked due to his vocation and his birth. And in the eyes of the world... He was an illegitimate child in the eyes of the world. He was also rejected because of his race. And when he was on the cross, 
There was a sign that said king of the Jews, and that was not a compliment. It was derogatory. So he was mocked even until death. Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And I don't want to get too graphic or anything like that, but Jesus was tortured. He had spikes in his hands and in his feet. They tortured him to the point of death. And when I, when I started thinking about that, I'm a very visual person, and I was thinking about, um, there was a movie that was out that kind of showed how graphic, you know, just the amount of pain that he must have experienced. He was tortured to death. That is probably, I can't even fathom that. So if you're experiencing physical pain, he understands that. He experienced probably the most amount of pain of anybody on earth. Remember when I said that we would get back to that verse that talks about Jesus being the son of Mary and not Joseph? Well, it's actually recorded that way in both Matthew and Mark, but John records it as, isn't this the son of Joseph? Now, I'm not a theologian or anything, but my understanding is that Matthew and Mark actually recorded the third year of Jesus' ministry and John recorded his first two years. And why is that important? Well, there are several things mentioned in John that were not recorded in Matthew and Mark. So when Jesus is on the cross, and he looks at John, and he says, Behold, your mother. And then he looks at Mary, Behold, your son. And then it says, from that point, Mary went and lived with John. Now, why would she do that? Why would she do that? Well, you know, Jesus was the oldest, right? She would have been with Jesus, and he would have been taking care of her. Jesus was about to die on the cross, so he's basically like passing the baton over to John to take care of Mama. Take care of mama. Now, why would he do that? Where's Joseph? Joseph had already passed away. Jesus knew what it was like to experience that loss of a, an earthly parent, right? So he knows also what it's like to lose a dear friend. You know, when I was growing up, Kids would always say, oh, you know what the shortest verse in the Bible is? It's Jesus wept. Well, do you know why Jesus wept? Do you know why? Because he had just lost his friend Lazarus. Now he, remember, he's fully God and fully man, and he had the power to raise him from the dead, and he did, and he knew this. Guess what? It still broke his heart. It still broke his heart. And he wept because he was heartbroken, like Mary and like Martha. And I have to think that he, he was just like so, had so, it was just overcome with this compassion and just this, this grief because they were also grieving. And when we grieve, 
when we're heartbroken, he too is heartbroken. So I want to kind of read that verse again, Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for, I'm sorry, 53, 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, I'm going to try to get through this, but I have read that verse, I can't tell you how many times. And when we're going through certain things in life, I feel like the Lord just kind of highlights other things for us. And so you may read the same verse today, and it may mean something different in, you know, a year or two from now, maybe based on what you're going through. And so the Lord highlighted the word grief in that, in there. And like I said, I've read that a bazillion times. And I couldn't help but just think about the amount of grief that I've experienced this past year. And we're coming up on the anniversary of an auto accident that took my great niece at 13 and my great nephew at eight. And Allie, my, my twin, my Latina twin, um, she, I'll never forget, she, Tammy, if you grieve well, you will heal well. I'll never forget what she said. And so I had a choice. I could lean into the Lord or I could run. But I chose to lean into the Lord. And I chose to just press into him as I was grieving and I gave him that grief. And what he showed me is that not only was I brokenhearted, he was brokenhearted too. He was brokenhearted too. I have, a high, I have a sympathetic high priest who is a man of sorrows who knows about my grief because he too has experienced grief. Are you grieving a loss today? Maybe you've lost someone that you love, but maybe it's not a person. Maybe that grief has something to do with something else. Maybe you're grieving the loss of a relationship Are you having family problems and feel like no one understands you? You know, I've always thought of Jesus as having my back because he understands me. Are you mentally or physically exhausted from work? You just need rest? You just wish you could just pull back, spend time with the Father? Maybe you're having marital problems relational problems. Maybe you just need a friend. I know the one who understands what you're going through, whatever that is. Not the, religi not the religious Jesus, but the one who has experienced it because we have a sympathetic high priest. So my question to you is, what are you going to do about it? When are you going to talk to the Lord about your stuff? about your relationships, about your work, and about your pain, be it physical or emotional. Maybe you don't even know Jesus as your Lord. Maybe you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And we can take care of that right now. It's a very simple prayer. As a matter of fact, 
I want everyone in here to close your head, close your head, bow your head, close your eyes, and just get into whatever posture you get into when you pray and you're ready to receive from the Lord. You know, in Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus died and that God raised him from the dead, that you shall be saved. It's that simple. But then I would add also, there's something else that has to happen and it's an action of repentance that you have to also have. So, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is the most important decision in your entire life, and it's life or death. So, if that is you, I'd like to pray this prayer with you this morning. It's a very simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. I believe that you died, that you rose again, that you died for my sins, that I'm a sinner and that you are the only way that I can have salvation. Lord, I repent of my sin and repent means that you changed your mind and you're going another way because the way you're going today is not working. Father, I repent of my sins. Thank you for saving. Now, maybe you know the Lord, maybe you've known as I have known the Lord for decades, but maybe you just need a friend. Maybe you feel all alone. Maybe you have some of those problems that we were talking about earlier. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? What are you saying to me today? What are you saying to my heart? What is it that I need to have an understanding of? So let me pray over those of you who are in here who, who, um, who just really need that, that fresh anointing of the Lord this morning. Father, I just pray that you would just, Holy Spirit, that you would just move in this house, that you would touch your people, that you would just impress on their hearts, Lord, whatever it is, that they need, whatever it is that they're being tempted by, Lord, whatever their junk is that they need to lay down at your feet. Father, I just pray that you would come in and that you would fill those places and those spaces in their hearts, that you would just move today in their life, and that when they leave here today, 100% of these people will never be the same because they have had an encounter with you. In Jesus' name, amen.